happy 2018 and welcome back to Saturday Night Live. Before we get started on this recap episode of the Sam Rockwell show, got to say it's interesting coming into this that there's so much a disagreement about this episode. And I love that. I always love that because, as we say, the thing that I love about Saturday Night Live and comedy in general is that if one person likes a sketch and one person hates a sketch, you say, well, who's right and who's wrong? And the answer is always the same. They're both right and they're both wrong because comedy is the most subjective thing ever and there's there's no there's there's no objectivity to it it just if it hits you it hits you and and i was thinking about it as i was getting ready for the show i was watching it again think about how precious and delicate of a commodity that comedy is in that not only for a sketch to work not only does everything have to be right in the studio the writing has to be crisp the actors have to hit their lines the performances have to be clear the camera work has to be appropriate the props have to function. There's a million ways that a sketch can go wrong on set. But not only that, a sketch can go right or wrong based on what's going on in the viewer's scenario. You know, if, uh, you know, if I had a bad day, if I had a good day, I might be watching the show a little bit later than you or earlier than you. My wife might like a certain sketch and be laughing harder than the person that you're watching it with. I might be watching it early in the morning. You might be watching it live late at night. All of these things are just little anything can make a great sketch go badly, whether it's in the studio or when we're watching it. And so when a sketch is great, it just reminds me of of how great it is when everything works on both ends and we have a great sketch and we have something that we can laugh at. And and so, as I say, as always, you know, there's no right or wrong. And yet for the next hour, I am going to speak with the conviction that I know best. And if you disagree with me, you are an idiot because that is what is fun about talking about this show. But know that I love all of the opinions that we share and I want to be talking about all of them to see what hit and what didn't hit because that's what makes this show so fun. That's what makes this Saturday Night Live and that what make this the SNL Recap Podcast. I am your host, Rich Tackenberg. Joining me as always, the best co-host in the world, Mr. Mike Bloom. Happy New Year, Mike. Happy New Year to you too, Rich. Uh, very heady, cold open from you. I would say a dog heady on a guy's body, perhaps. <laughs> oh, wait till we get there. Wait till we get there. Yes, good stuff. Good stuff. How you been? You have a good uh, break? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been about a month. We were talking about this before, and it's it's felt like a year. But I mean, we are in a completely different year. But I'm happy to be back with you uh, talking about this episode. Just talking about SNL in general. We're in for a three for. Uh, for January. So I'm excited to start this first month of 2018 for what will hopefully be an upswing for season 43. Yeah. So let's start by talking about the episode because I, you and I haven't talked that much uh, off mic about it. Uh, you know, I saw a lot of sort of even within our community, a lot of very differing opinions. I really like this episode here, but here is how I will categorize this episode. I thought that there was a lot of funny despite Almost every sketch having one real Achilles heel, uh, whether it's structurally, whether it's writing, whether it's performance that potentially derailed it from being a fantastic sketch that we're going to remember for a long time. But within that, I just found that there was just a lot of funny, even even when they were near misses, they still there was still a lot of funny that just I felt like there was more momentum on the show than standout fantastic sketch. What did you think? This was a very fun 
episode for me. And I'll say that I, I think that the premises themselves, and maybe this is what you're sort of speaking about, I feel like the, the premises were there, but for one reason or another, maybe the execution wasn't completely or it didn't fully uh, bring that idea to its limit. Sometimes there were some sketches where I felt like, okay, they really got something going and then they would stop or they go in a completely different direction. But there was nothing that I would say outright hated from this episode, which, you know, is always good, especially compared to the Kevin Hart episode, which I think we had a lot of umbrage to take. Uh, going to my SNL rankings, I know I had their request to uh, repost them or reread them. I'll reread them going into 2018. I also reposted my list before and after the episode on my Twitter at a Mike Bloom type, and I'll slot in the episode uh, here as well. So, number one for me is still Kamal Nanjiani. Then I bumped up Chance the Rapper over the past month, number two. Tiffany Haddish at number three. I have the season premiere still up at number four. I don't think it's a great episode, but I, I still think it's sort of like my replacement level where like there was enough good stuff going on that if I didn't like an episode as much, I just put it right below there, even though... I would say it's unreasonably high to say like this is that was my fourth favorite episode of the season. Uh, Saoirse Ronan is right below that at number five. I actually put this episode, the Sam Rockwell episode, right below there at number six. It might bump up depending on you seem very positive on the episode. So we'll see, you know, uh, if that changes my opinions at all. Below Rockwell, I put James Franco at number seven. And below them, uh, rounding out our, our trio kind of down at the bottom of this season, Larry David, Gal Gadot, and the last episode that we talked about, Kevin Hart. So wow. I call this I call this a solid episode. Uh, there wasn't really too, too much, as you said, that like makes my best of the season, but it felt pretty consistent throughout and i will also say from just the host perspective we sort of predicted this at the end of our previous podcast sam rockwell was so game and i felt like he did a fantastic job from just a pure comic yes. perspective of really fitting into each and every sketch that they needed him to do yeah and really uh again you know for a first timer really not a uh, reading cue card i mean not noticeably reading cue cards which i just think is so impossible so a huge shout out to his performance and his commitment to this did a really good job all right let's uh shall we dive because we have an extra long cold open to bring us into yes. the new year of snl <laughs> I felt like it was two or three cold open segments tied together. Uh, so we start off with uh, Morning Joe is a, a way to get into it. I will say, uh, and I think we sort of alluded to this on the last one, uh, I will say kudos to not starting with uh, with Alec Baldwin as Donald Trump this season, this, you know, this uh, the, the return, return to SNL. Um, I think it was a nice break, uh, and I think that this is a good sort of setup. Uh, you know, I will say about the sketch, I have the very big advantage that my my wife watches Morning Joe uh, religiously. So there are a lot of small shout outs and nods to the show that I would not have understood if it was not for her. So I have a huge advantage. But I will say first talking about just sort of the overall, uh, you know, Morning Joe before we get into the sort of, you know, the beats within it, um, that I think they're doing a very good job of creating this world, even for the most of America, which is going to be people who don't watch the show. I think that there's there's enough fun of this sort of the way that Mika is constantly interrupting uh, with the sort of weird asides, the the bit we'll see with Joe Scarborough specifically not letting anyone talk and the weird sexual chemistry going on between them. I don't think you need to know the show to get this. And I, I think that they're having a lot of fun doing it. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll take it as someone who has not really seen Morning Joe. This is also, I believe, the first time in season 43 that we are going to Morning Joe, surprisingly enough. I think the last time we saw them was back in the Chris Pine episode last May during season 42. So it doesn't feel like something, it's not, you know, a Piers Morgan where they do it three or so times every season. So I'm glad that they're sort of keeping that fresh. But even if you don't know what's going on, you know, you do have the sort of sub game of the Mika and Joe sexual tension, which when I did some research today, uh, very salacious in nature from what I've heard in terms of uh, what's going on in in real life. But again, not even knowing who these people are, they do a really interesting job of sort of building up this character that separates it from, you know, any sort of fill in the blank here, uh, news stories, but it also these going to these news shows serves as a nice vehicle for, okay, if we want to do this, Fred Armisen is Michael Wolf and this Bill Murray is Steve Bannon thing. Now we sort of have a vehicle to do it instead of cutting to the white house for the umpteenth time. Yeah, exactly. No, I like that. And by the way, little things like apparently Joe Scarborough does have a band. So like little things like that, that seems so silly to me. I was fact checked in the room as all being real shout outs. Uh, shout out to Prohibition on the Upper West Side, where uh, a friend of the show, Mark and NYC's uh, really close friend plays all the time. So I thought that was really fun. At least I think I got that right. So uh, bit wise, the first bit with Chris Red. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time talking about it. I just thought this was super fun. Uh, the idea sort of, you know, that uh, Joe wants to hear this uh, this expert's opinion and Chris Red can't get a word in edgewise uh, because uh, Joe won't let him stop talking. I really like this execution. I thought it was really fun, especially as the rant that Joe is going off of is that, you know, that people aren't getting uh, their voices heard and he won't let uh, he won't let Chris Red talk. So I thought this was very simple game, but very well executed. I thought this was really fun. Yeah, this was all in the timing and the fact that it clipped along at such a pace, you know, it earned audience applause. And I think that's why is because they just really got through it. And I mean, this will be a Chris Red heavy episode, even though he will not have anything to say in this sketch. Uh, (laughs) This will not be the last time he talks. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Uh, And then uh, it's time for Michael Wolf. And what a pleasant gift that we get. Uh, You know, doppelganger Fred Armisen shows up to play to play him. And I thought this was super fun. I I thought this was really the highlight for me of the cold open. I thought this impression and the sort of character of Michael Wolf was was on I uh, was accurate enough to be cutting and broad enough to bring a lot of fun to it yeah I mean I have never seen Michael Wolf so I had no idea when I just saw Fred Armisen I'm like okay this is random but I guess they're going for a like Larry David looks like Bernie Sanders type of thing uh but I mean it definitely my heart uh grew fond of the absence of Fred Armisen uh, he was not my favorite cast member admittedly by the time he finished his tenure on the show but he has such a unique voice and you almost imagine that Portlandia kind of strengthened that voice that I totally agree bringing him on here and sort of going with this characterization of like yeah, 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 I made it up, but you, you read the book and you enjoyed it. So what does it matter? You know, I spent like when he talks about the baby races, for instance, oh, and they that ask, was oh, did, great. That, did that really happen? He's like, but, yeah, uh, yeah. very like, yeah. very, very like Fred Armisen esque delivery. Uh, and so I think the characterization that he did was great. Uh, I, I'm, I'm skipping a little bit ahead to the good nights, which I can't remember. Did he stay until the good nights, considering how much he lives basically in 
uh, you know, in 30 Rock at this yes, point. He was there in the good nights. There was someone who didn't show up, which we will talk about at the end. But uh, he was there and and chatting with Bill Murray at the end of the show. Yeah. Huge shout out to Fred Armisen. Also, just to sort of jump and sort of add on to what you're saying. One of the things about Fred Armisen as an alumni is that he's very willing to come back and as an alumni, not play a cameo at 11. He's very comfortable showing up, getting the big applause of, hey, Fred's back and then playing subtle and and uh, and subdued. And I think that's what makes that. It was really nice. So you sort of that that sort of delivery when they said uh, you read it, you liked it, you had fun. You got to just shut up like he like if that was played at level 10 where the energy could have been for a lot of alumni or cameos. I think it would have lost sort of what was so funny about that. And I love that throwaway at the end when he's talking about the booking is even the stuff in the book that's not true. It's true. Like it was just so well done. So kudos to him. Uh, really fun. And then uh, obviously the big surprise, the big uh, applause. We've said this before with the character of Steve Banyan, which was always played by Mikey Day here playing Willie Geist. So he's not going to be able to do that in the death uh, thing. And as I've said, and I think you've agreed, it, uh, it went from a, a visual sight gag the first time they did it to a very sort of uh, lost opportunity. So finally, we're going to take the cowl off and we're going to get a real character character and the room explodes in excitement when we see that it's bill murray um bill murray not even trying to do nope. a steve bannon impression whatsoever it was kind of like steve bannon the lounge singer just uh, just <laughs> bill murray being bill murray having some fun uh yeah you know and and i'm interested to hear what you thought because this was again i think this was the fatal flaw now again me giving any criticism to Bill Murray, please feel free to shoot me in the head because <laughs> who am I to give one of the greatest guys? But I will say, I think that he was trying to be so off book that he was not looking at the cue cards, which created some really awkward pauses and timings that I felt like as America, we were all sort of leaning forward to like, ah, and that undercut some of the funny writing that was written for him that I wish would have hit harder. But that said, a lot of fun here. Really, really fun. Bride bar to friggin' bar bar. No, that's yeah. that, if only he'd broken out into that. Yeah, I, I kind of wish you sort of talked about how this cold open has sort of felt like several parts encapsulated into one. I kind of wish that they had saved this for another thing entirely because I, you can do this. I think that, you know, Bill Murray is so for lack of a better term, Bill Murray-esque, that you could sort of characterize Steve Bannon in this weird way of, like, oh, a, yeah. schmooze, a schmoozer who's trying to, like, be, like, a smooth operator. But it doesn't fit in contact with, like, everything else that was going on. Like you mentioned, specifically the rapport between him and Michael Wolf, very off. Because you could tell Bill Murray was looking everywhere but where he was supposed to. He was just, like, yeah. shooting looks to the audience. And that's that's totally great. And that's one reason, one reason why people absolutely love Bill Murray. I also... I don't know if I like what this represents. You know, there have been articles written about how SNL sort of got itself into a bad situation in saying, let's bring in all of these non-cast members to play members of the cabinet. Isn't it fun to have Melissa McCarthy play Sean Spicer, Alec Baldwin play Donald Trump? And now it seems we keep doing this. Now, I, do I think that this means that Fred Armisen and Bill Murray are going to become like recurring parts of the cast like Melissa McCarthy did? No, not whatsoever, but... 
it's it's a convention that's starting to wear unfortunately a little bit thin with me as fun as it is to see some new faces here it just sort of is more representative to me of what snl just sort of keeps grabbing for this easy thing to do and the more times that they do it the less new and flashy it looks to me yeah, no, I agree. And also, uh, I, I mean, I, you know, to me, again, to see Fred Armisen was such a no-brainer because he looked like him. The Bill Murray, it was really uncanny how well they did, both whether it's his personal, uh, you know, <laughs> where he's at as as an older gentleman and how much was makeup. It was really exciting to see how good it was. But it is a short-term gain at a long-term expense that, you know, you can't have a breakout star if you don't give uh, – Kyle Mooney or you don't give Pete Davidson or you don't give, uh, you know, Colin Jost or somebody the chance to play Steve Bannon to make it a water cooler buzzworthy moment that everyone's talking about that you can then sort of grow from within. And I don't have any easy answers, um, but it I, I do think that it sort of hurts. It hurts the show long term, even though obviously you're going to get a lot of buzz tomorrow. And when you're in the TV business, you just, you know, you just live it one day day at a time um so yeah maybe and and maybe we'll get a new long-term impression uh with this the last person that sort of gets tacked on to the end of this cold open here yeah, the the one thing I just want to say, uh, I think that the right because the the thing with the Bill Murray thing, some of the writing was so good here. I love that he's doing a web series for Crackle called Cucks and Cars Getting Coffee, and he's promoting wrinkled barn jackets called Frumpers for Guys, uh, and he's gonna be uh, he's gonna be promoting as candidates, I think Logan Paul and the subway guy, the subway mm-hmm. guy Jared Vogel. So uh, ultimately leading to him saying that it's time for America to slide down the banner. I thought that was really fun. So uh, kudos to the writers, whoever put it together. I thought that that's stuff left. I thought the sketch should have ended right here. I felt like you slide down the banister to live from New York from Saturday night. Instead, we're going to go one more time, one more piece uh, with Oprah. Um, You know, I do like when Mika says, oh, I thought I smelled lavender and money. Uh, But uh, a lot of Oprah. We're going to get a lot of Oprah this 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 way around and i i thought this was fun but i think i could have done without it here i'm, I'm just questioning because this is the second episode in a row that we've had leslie pay a character that's going to appear in the cold open for the very first time and then appear once again at weekend update it, it just i maybe it's just because i'm so used to like rich's rule of cameos and whether that applies to new characters but it's just odd to me why they felt like they need to do this because as you said there really wasn't a joke here it's clear that they did the much more solid oprah stuff during weekend update here it was just oh no like will anyone help save us from all this madness oh oprah's here and then that was it 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 really did feel like a last minute like 30 second add-on and while it was fun to see leslie bring her energy to finish off this like 10 minute cold open it was a little it was a little disjointed from everything else that was going on, even though, as we mentioned before, there were so many different parts to this monolith of a cold open. Yeah, and it is. We'll talk a little bit more in the, in the weekend update, but it's interesting that that her impression is an impression of Oprah in Scream only. That she's basically just being herself when she's talking as Oprah, and then actually doing an impression when she screams as Oprah. Very odd. Very very odd. So, uh, yeah. So uh, a good solid ten minutes later, uh, we get our live from New York. 
a little mixed on this one. I don't know that Bill Murray brought it here, but you know what? He's Bill Murray. What are you going to do? And so we get to Sam Rockwell's monologue where uh, he, I think, well sets up that everyone knows him as that guy from that movie, um, which I think was I was having this conversation with a family member two days ago who had just seen three billboards, was asking, where do I know that guy from? And we were sort of going through the resume and uh, nothing was clicking. So totally get it. Um, this was an interesting hybrid of we're going to do a song to kick off our monologue, but uh, not a lot of singing in the song. So an interesting sort of, uh, I, I feel like we have to a lap around the 8-H backstage uh, and in this permutation, it's going to be with him as an A-list star. I thought it was fun. I thought it was good energy and it was fun. I don't know if it was necessarily all that funny though. Yeah, what the hell was this? I'm still so <laughs> confused. Like he starts singing and you're like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing, even though he's like horrifically offbeat from the rest of the band. But then the red carpet rolls out and he's doing this like, I don't know if I'd call it dancing. It's like high stepping, uh, like doing the running man almost. And we, I, I do like how we're doing an unconventional way of going uh, through the backstage because, you know, we've seen this a billion times at this point. It's been 43 seasons, but I like that like they sort of give it – uh, you know, uh, they put it in a different environment. I feel like if they were going with this idea of like, oh, I'm a leading man now, I can do all these things. I feel like they could have bridged out from, okay, I can kiss people and dance with people and I can fight ninjas. Fight ninjas, yes, yeah. Yeah, it, it just it just was weird to me that like you start with the ninjas, then you go to the romance, then you go back to the ninjas. Like I wanted to, to go to like one more place. Maybe, I don't know, you ch- jump out of a, a cardboard helicopter or something. That being said, I did like the fun backstage aspects and how it kept moving, especially, you know, this is the season of Colin Joseph getting hurt so he gets yes. a drop drop kick through a door i did like the stunt of him riding the crane as well very I think that, cool. might be, that was very yeah, cool yeah i think that might be the first time since the uh the bit episode directed by francis ford coppola that we've really seen a lot of action around the camera crane and then it finishes off where he takes the stage again and it's doing again this really weird running man dance <laughs> so i'm entirely perplexed as to what was going on here uh but you know i'd rather have this than a song or questions from the audience so i guess a kick could played too much. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought it was it was really good energy. I will say uh, I was very disappointed that we did our run through the backstage and we did not see either the llama or someone dressed as a Blinken. I thought that was that was strange. And uh, a theme that we're going to sort of get into is we, we get our first sort of shout out to like, oh, we can't do kissing scenes. We had a whole HR meeting about it. That's going to be a bit of a theme that we're going to sort of get, uh, which I think is going to be a, a little bit of a complicator going into some of our episodes. But Certainly good energy getting us to the science show. Uh, a uh, For those of us old enough to remember Mr. Wizard, uh, mm-hmm. we're going to we're starting our first live sketch. Uh, this was written by Mikey Day, Cecily Strong and Streeter Seidel. Uh, and and um, I thought there was a lot of fun here once I let go of the fact that it was like I had to do a lot of work to figure out what the premise of this sketch was. Uh, and once I sort of locked into, oh, the kids are just dumb, then it was a lot of fun for me. Yeah, that's basically what it comes down to. And what I will say as well is that going back to what I said at the very beginning of the podcast, these are very simple 
easy premises. And sometimes that just makes for the best type of sketches. And I feel like this is one example of it. I, I feel like when I was checking out the dress rehearsal a recap on the live from new york subreddit they talked about how i think this was later on this was not a, usually a post monologue sketch but i guess they bumped it up just because again like that uh that chris red and morning joe thing in the cold open it plays super quickly and it needs to just because it almost reminded me of like something out of monty python where like it's just so stupid but it's so funny because it's done so well. Uh, there's just there was so many just great quick exchanges. I think Cecily and Mikey both did a fantastic job. I will uh, I will take a little bit of a disagreement with your point about how Sam Rockwell barely looked at the cue cards. I feel like in this sketch he was looking dead into the camera the entire time and barely looking at those kids. I don't know if that That's was a true. choice. That's true. Or, yeah. or if it was him just reading the cards. Uh, but just such quick things like you know uh, oh you, we're talk- it's a solid it's a liquid you know sometimes you can't even see it oh behind me no 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 or uh no. you know yeah. hey hey um hey josh what do you think what happens if you if i pour the oil into the water nothing no something needs to happen uh you know what's the science room's number one rule don't don't touch me under my clothes which again as you were saying a bit of a pervasive theme over the course of 2018 and i love this the stupidity but also like the great punniness of uh, mr science saying okay watch the oil and then mikey day's character just picks oh, up the bottle and stares that at it. was my favorite subtle moment my favorite moment of the sketch is when mikey day picks up the bottle of oil and looks at it i thought that was so great yeah and but of course what everyone's talking about aside from the bill murray cameo last night is obviously the word that got dropped during the live broadcast of this sketch Yes, yes. And it's interesting because to me, it's such a non news story now. Like, I feel like, you know, I, you know, they, it obviously got bleeped and, uh, you know, and, and we move on. I'm still sort of surprised that in 2018 that it's getting any notice whatsoever, because uh, given every, you know, given that we, you know, and this is not the first curse word, although I believe this was the first accidental curse word that was said on the show. Uh, and clearly the F-bomb has always been considered the mother of all inappropriate terms to say um i feel like in our culture today like saying the f-bomb on tv is not really that big of a deal um so i I sort of moved past it pretty quickly yeah and it's also like i actually watched a video of like all the times it's really been dropped on snl and it's happened like a few times in the past five years or so yeah Uh, and and I, i it's also it's interesting to sort of put it in this context where I think it's clear that even though, again, I would say that Mr. Science was staring down the barrel of the camera the entire time and looking at those cue cards, I think Sam Rockwell just got so caught up in the fury of that character that he just, he was improvising and just let one loose. Uh, And I love that, you know, Mikey and Cecily did a great job of covering for it by, like, covering their ears. And it's also moments like that that, like, get a, a titter out of the audience of like, ooh, this is something that shouldn't be happening. You know, it really gets yeah. to show how much of a live, uh, you know, how much of a, of a live functioning product that SNL can be. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe this means that Sam Rockwell is on like the no host list after this, no. which I certainly hope not. But uh, yeah. it was definitely yeah. a, a, definitely a big news item from the episode. Yeah, I, it doesn't. Yeah, it certainly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully we can all move past. But I guess we'll see. I did want to say about this issue before we're moving on again, sort of, I think, the Achilles heel and and maybe you and I experienced it differently. The thing that I first of all, we're setting it in, you know, it's 
standard def. It's it's back from PBS Kids. It's an old episode as they set it up in the premise. You know, I feel like especially in a, in a week or an era when there's a lot going on the news, you know, any sketch, I think, as audience members, we're often sort of just going like, OK, this is an old, you know, this supposedly takes place in the past. How is this going to tie to a current event? What is going on here? And when we start where there's an, an older white guy uh, and he's got two young kids with him that seem very nervous and scared to be with him, my brain is sort of going through the comedy Rolodex. Is it going to be a Me Too thing? Is it going to be an inappropriate thing? What 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 is going on here? And uh, I think that they did not do themselves any favors by not setting up early on in the sketch that this is simply about two dumb kids uh, and how frustrating it's going to be. And I thought uh, Cecily's very funny line about the number one rule of the show is don't touch me under my clothes. And when she said that, I went, OK, now I know where the sketch is going. OK, I now have my my bearings. I, I can see the true north of this sketch is going to be about sexual uh, harassment. Uh, and then it's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's actually not. It's actually a very G-rated concept of just dumb kids driving Mr. Wizard crazy. And I think that they really did themselves a disservice not helping us know that from the third or fourth line so we could have just all enjoyed the sketch going into it. Obviously, by the time that he's saying, you know, it's, you know, where everything is, it's going to go back to the future, to back to the future too, and we all get it, then we're all laughing really hard. So let's move on to our first pre-tape of the night here, Rich. Tucci Gang, now, were you knowledgeable of the source material before watching this sketch? Mike, if you had to bet $1,000 of your <laughs> hard-earned money, do you think I had ever heard of Little Pump or Gucci Gang? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I would definitely uh, feel confident putting my money down on that one. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, of course I had no idea what this was. I mean, I you know this character. I feel like we've seen Pete do versions of this character before. Um, I certainly this was the most bizarre thing in the world. I have since watched the video for Gucci Gang, and I can see what a sort of spot on replication it was, substituting in Stanley Tucci for weed and coke and booze. Uh, so obviously very inspired in that way. Um, uh, but I was definitely like, what is is this uh but i'm a huge fan of stanley tucci so uh i have i have enjoyed the tooch as uh, as comedian jimmy pardo recently said uh for a long long time big nights is one of my favorite movies so uh so it was great to see and uh, and very fun of sam rockwell just doing this weird sort of hybrid stanley tucci guy uh definitely plays better if you've already seen the video but uh still a little repetitive here because the actual song is super repetitive but still a lot of fun i mean i think that's the issue is that like yes this is funny on paper especially if you know what gucci gang is but it's not a very well written song neither one is and right. i feel like something something that we really enjoy about snl song parodies and music videos are when you know the when the song is really well written and well done comeback barack from uh, several episodes sure. ago is, is a great example of that I think because they were sort of shoehorned into just saying Tuchigay, Tuchigay, Tuchigang over and over again, the lyrics themselves weren't funny. And so I, this really was not a funny sketch for me. I mean, I guess I'll again give the you know production team credit. This very much mirrored the video itself. But there was a certain point where you're just like, 
okay, is something going to happen now? Like, are we going to change anything? Or is it just you wrote four lines about Stanley Tucci and added it into the song, and that was basically it? This this was one yeah. of the this is this was definitely a miss for me. Okay, fair enough. And I, I can see that because I was on the I think that uh, when we watched it last night, I definitely felt like I don't know what that was, but I appreciated what you were going for uh, and the inspired silliness of trying to do a Stanley Tucci rap video at 11. So good for you for going for it. Yeah, this, so, this, that, this yeah. sounds like one of the sketches that like Pete was talking about in one of his update appearances that he would pitch to Lauren, but Lauren would <laughs> tell him that he's not doing it's it, it's like you said before, yes. like Pete Davidson is now sort of had his now he has his moment in the sun of for some reason playing rappers which is yes. so strange to me so because odd. you look at pete davidson and you're like if you've ever thought that his stock character would be some sort of rapper that you that, that does not compute whatsoever so it's a little strange i would kind of prefer he not play rappers or if he does to like if he does rap to provide some funnier material personally yeah and by the way why was this before my drunk boyfriend can anyone yeah, explain know. that to me i don't get that at all so maybe maybe anyway, it killed uh, maybe it killed in dress rehearsal for some reason a lot of gucci gang fans out there because yeah this was definitely uh not the better pre-tape that we saw this episode Right. I think you're right. Okay. Well, moving on before we get to uh, that pre-tape, we do another live segment. We do a, an E, a shot at E's, uh, often very vapid and catty uh, uh, red carpet roundtable wrap-ups, uh, fashion wrap-ups called The Look. Um, and I thought Cecily and uh, and Dean Rockwell, uh, Dean, Dean, boy, Dean's was his character, Sam Rockwell uh, and Keenan had a lot of fun here. And uh, nice to see Melissa Villasenor get a, a real character instead of a, a walk on on this um but i i like this idea of uh you know how do we how do how do we continue to monetize the typical caddy making fun of women's outfits uh in uh the times up and me too time i thought there were there was a lot of fun here yeah i will say as an overall uh, talk about this episode sort of this guy serving as a microcosm of it i felt like this was really cecily strong's episode and honestly, oh, yeah. I've, been, I've been starting to feel that, yes, Kate has been doing a lot of, you know, she's been playing a bunch of members in Trump's cabinet, for example. But I don't know. Maybe it's because we're getting so much Kate now. But I'm slowly starting to see that, like, Cecily is, is starting to really take a hold of this show in a very good way because I think she's very talented. And I think it's I'm glad that she's finally been able to do so. Uh, but I think that she's really had a few prominent episodes recently. And this is another one where she really anchors this even down to, you know, her doing an impression of the e news anchor who for some reason always sounds like they're out of breath when they're like bringing it back from break. Like that little touch yes. was really, really nice. You know, I, I think that it was it was a good concept. I don't know if they exactly hit their potential with it. I did enjoy, you know, instead of the 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 bar for whatever segment, it was the I respect her choice segment, and I guess that's a commentary <laughs> about like how toothless uh, they can do the commentary now that they feel like they're they're not really allowed to criticize anyone. Uh, the Francis McDormand thing was interesting. I guess it was just sort of commentary. Another nod to the golden globes that happened last week and the fact that they just randomly bleeped out words in francis mcdormand's acceptance speech you would think that we get a little bit of like three of three billboards insider reference considering it's francis mcdormand and sam rockwell in a sketch together but i don't know maybe three billboards is still such like an uh you know a, a little scene film that they felt like it would go over a lot of people's heads much like dean's character 
Now, do you think that more people have seen Three Billboards or Gucci Gang? I, I, I know I'm talking about two very different audiences, but I, I agree with you. I also want to double back on what you're saying about uh, about love for, for Cecily Strong, because, you know, Kate McKinnon, I think, sort of has a has a very powerful, fun Frances McDormand here. Just big, sort of owns the room when she walks in and sort of owns the sketch from that point forward. But the but I love when she when her character shows up and she says to Cecily's character, you know, why did you book me? And very subtly, Cecily says, we wanted powerful women on the show and I don't count. And there was such a beautiful deadpan, but not like dead eyes kind of delivery to that, like almost sort of a hopelessness of when they when they uh, each shout out their salaries and Dean says 600,000 and Rochelle says 40,000 that I thought that uh, that Cecily played it just perfectly down the middle, exactly walking a fine line of making this not a vapid character, but not a resentful character and just did a really nice job. Yeah, I think Cecily, I think Kate does a great job playing like very matter of fact characters. You know, the Goldry is a good example of that or yes. the alien abduction person. She's very firm and that's what makes things really funny. But Cecily does a really, ever since Girlfriend's talk show, she does a really good job at playing daft of someone yes. who really honestly does not know any better. Like the, the porn star with, that she did with Vanessa Bear is another example of that. And that is really, really hard to do because, like you said, playing dumb is an, a comic trope that sometimes really does not play well. But Cecily really walks that fine line. I think this is a great example of it. So was the Mr. Science one. Uh, you even get to see things get showcased even more in the uh, the Citrix, uh, the, the Chantix commercial at the very end, where, again, she's kind of playing a daft character that's trying to make the most of her time on screen, quite literally. It's just something that I've sort of yes. been turned on to in the past few episodes. So I'm really hoping that Cecily sort of continues to gain this momentum. And who knows? Fingers crossed, knock on wood. Maybe that means an Emmy nomination for her. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. And I will I will add to you, I think because I think when Cecily plays, as you say, a daft character, I feel like she always plays dumb and. She plays mm -hmm. dumb and desperate, dumb and, uh, you know, holding on to something, dumb and, uh, you know, resentful or whatever it is. And, and I so I feel like she gives more contour and color to a dumb character than just I'm saying dumb things, sort of like uh, who's the 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 person who always screamed things outside of uh, Michael Che's window. It's dumb and opinionated. Uh, so so I, I really like what she does. So uh, so good. So let's move on to another pre-tape. A lot of pre-tapes this episode. Um, for me, maybe I'm alone. Sketch of the night. My drunk boyfriend. Uh, I thought this was such a fun and silly and dumb idea. That was done so well. Uh, I really enjoyed this ad for the My Drunk Boyfriend, uh, sort of the take on the sex real dolls uh, that you can have uh, a drunk boyfriend in your life if you order one. I thought this was directed by Dave McCarry. Really, really well done. That makes me happy, Rich, because I don't know. This felt to me like a good neighbor sketch. And maybe just because like good neighbor, it's sort of out outside their usual stuff of the sitcom and the the reality TV show and the inside SoCal. But I feel like my hunch is that because Beck and Kyle sort of played big roles in it, something tells me that especially Kyle, something tells me that they were involved in some sort of way, shape or form. But 
Sure. And Dave McCary directed it. Yeah. So it would make sense that it was the three of them putting this together. Sure. Yeah. yeah so it's I, interesting because I, I was going to just say, because I'd love to hear your thoughts, because to me, a lot of times sort of iconic for better or worse, good neighbor is like we're mocking something that's so bad and we are going to reproduce it in an equally bad way to mock it and make that funny, which for me sometimes works, sometimes doesn't work, where this was more of just a straight out commercial parody um, where it wasn't about that. It was just about if this was true, what would it be like? Yeah, it's more literal. I'll totally yeah. give you that. And you, you, But I feel like you even get that good neighbor sense in the very beginning where you have, you know, Cecily hanging out with 80 and it's clear that like Beck's character is very inebriated and like slobbering around. And Cecily's basically like, oh, I wish I could have that. Like that still, yeah. that still feels very good neighbory to me. But yeah, this this feels like a little separated from what they usually do. But I thought this was really well done. Uh, I, I will say, I don't know if something was off on my TV. The aspect ratio on this one seemed a little strange. Like the picture was stretched out. Uh, I don't know if that was oh, like the. So, okay. So here, this is interesting. What I was going to mention to you, the thing that also made it feel good neighbory to me is that for reasons I can't tell you why it was four by three. So it was, yeah. it had the black bars on the left and right hand of the screen. I wonder if when you are watching it, your television, uh, you know, sometimes television settings will auto correct for that and stretch the picture. Yeah, because I, I was wondering, because I know, like, the Mr. Science stuff was purposely done vintage as well, because yeah, I, I yes. thought it looked a little different, but I really enjoyed how this played out, particularly the performances of, you know, Kyle and Beck and Sam Rockwell as these guys. It, I wouldn't even call it, like, a real doll thing. It's almost like a, a child's toy, like, you know, a baby born or something. I, I mean, their performances yes. weren't, they weren't even like playing drunk characters. They were more so like slurring babies, but the delivery behind all of those lines, plus like the Ken doll-esque painted on stubble, oh, every, so everything good. about this was really, really weird, but so much fun. The small details, like the timer goes off and he has to pee in the hamper. Uh, <laughs> he has, he has things, he has like accessories. I did good, like right? Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, accessories, like a chart frozen pizza that he brought into the bed which actually that one actually made me laugh out loud and i love the effect of the subtitles as well where because i you wouldn't be able to understand what they were saying but i actually love that they put the subtitles in there it was just a nice little like ounce of weird to throw in there i'm debating whether that would it would be the sketch of the night for me but i feel like it was like a pitch perfect commercial done really well yeah, I, and not too over the top. I, and I love the tagline, he's a problem, but he's your problem. I thought that was absolutely beautiful. And then just like, as you know, one of my all-time favorite sketches of the 24-hour energy drink for a guy dating an actress, we see the reverse at the end, which is the My Drunk Girlfriend. Are you mad at me? A nice little, uh, you know, just a very nice Heidi Gardner just dot and we move on very fun. Yes. So let's let's take that dot and move on. Let's talk about Halsey. Uh, suffice it to say, Rich, I'm assuming you've heard as much about Halsey as you did Gucci Gang before going into this episode, correct? Mike, I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I I will say the, the, the first song, I'm like, okay, who's this Halsey? I felt like they were going for sexy Teletubbies, and I don't think <laughs> that was intentional. I, I was, uh, yes. I mean, her voice is very good. I will say from uh, you're younger than me, you can tell me her voice was very good, but uh, this, this first song was, was uh, yeah, not, not my speed. 
<laughs> yeah, so Halsey, I probably know her best because, again, I'm not really hip to the musics of today, uh, but I do recognize her as, if you, you rec- remember the Chainsmokers song Closer, which was like all over the radio oh, yes. last okay. year. She was She was the female behind that. Got it. Okay, got it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that first, that first one was interesting. You know, she's wearing like this sort of like skinned big bird jacket. And then you have these background dancers in yellow and red, two male, two female come out his, her second song. Uh, so her first song was bad at love. Her second song was him and I featuring G easy. I believe his name is, uh, mm-hmm. they started, they started behind a window as sort of a set piece. And then it hits the stage. We get the blue lights and the smoke. I mean, I'm not a, a huge fan of the music she puts out, but I feel like it was both good performances. The acoustics and the mixing were done well. I noticed that she sort of fell into his arms by the end. I have no idea uh, what that means. Uh, I don't want to speculate on too much, but. Well, I know from I know from Twitter because I don't know anything beforehand. Apparently, this is her boyfriend. G.E.Z. is going out with Halsey. So okay, so uh, I, I, I had a feeling, but I didn't want to make too many broad assumptions. At just least in case. that's but what. The- yeah. Again, me trusting Twitter could be a huge mistake, but that's what I heard. <laughs> yeah, the, the way she just lingered in his arms by the end had me speculating personally. So I'm glad those speculations were founded. Now, I did. Uh, do you, I assume from watching it, not knowing anything about them, that this was originally choreographed for their high school talent show because I, I, I was really sort of stunned by the over the top of the the window and everything. Um, also, by the way, we, and we didn't even mention sort of the, the, I'm bringing this up for a reason. In the cold open, there was a weird moment before we saw Bill Murray was going to be Steve Bannon. There's a, a, a bit between uh, Mika and Joe Scarborough and they cut to Willie Geist and someone is walking into the shot and we mm-hmm. realize afterwards that it was Bill Murray uh, seating himself as, uh, as, uh, as Steve Bannon with the hood on. At the end of the second Halsey song, they pull the camera back and then profile it's Bill Murray watching Halsey, which I was like, what is Bill Murray? Is he be? It was like, and again, I mean, no one loves Bill Murray more than me, but it reminded me of when Fred Armisen used to do the mayor. Uh, was it the governor of New York yeah, yes, uh, wandering yes, yes. around the weekend update schedule? Like, what is going on here? So very silly, but again, yeah. enough said. So let's get to weekend update. Um, I thought a lot of funny jokes this week. Just, just, uh, you know, overall it was good. I don't know if it was overall great, but I would say, but, joke wise a lot of good stuff yeah i mean this season 43 we're you know about almost halfway through at this point and it's sort of cemented to me that i think the the theme for season 43 is going to go like this episode was insert adjective here but weekend update was great i think this this season has cemented weekend update as usually the highlight of the show just because no matter what's going on around it with sketches or hosts jost and che have really fallen into this great rapport the joke writing is really on fire you could give or take the correspondence we'll definitely talk about the highs and lows of them but just purely jost and che themselves there's a reason why they got promoted to head writers at the end of last year i I feel like they are putting out some of their strongest material and some of their strongest stuff together it's a much more 
it's much more, you know, easygoing and loose. It's probably the loosest we've seen the update panel since, like, Norm MacDonald even in, like, 20 years. But there's so much good stuff here. They obviously had a month of stuff to catch up on. There's, obviously, they start off with, the you know, the shithole countries comments. They had to do a bunch of stuff about that. Uh, you know, Che gets some nice groans when he says, you know, calling Africa a shithole country is like telling a kid you molested. Boy, you d- did you grow up to be weird. Uh, yeah. And I loved the stuff from Colin about how uh, Trump talks about no collusion, like a dumb frat bro says no homo. Uh, oh, there's so there's just a lot of great stuff in here. Che talking about the Oprah stuff being like very exasperated. Can we have a regular one for once in a while? Oh. Oh. Uh, there's just what was, these guys. What was his these, line? He, he said at one point, he's like, don't you miss the days when someone would say, hey, did you hear what the president said? And I'd say, no, I thought yeah. that was great. Yeah. And by the way, intentionally dropping the S-bomb on live TV a couple of times. And uh, I think we we all I, I suspected it, but saw from uh, reading about the uh, the dress rehearsal that they did it in the dress rehearsal. So it was very planned. Saturday Night Live at, or I'm sorry, S, uh, um, NBC apparently asked them not to drop the S-bomb and uh, they decided to do it anyway so really coming at this a little badass yeah i mean it's a very profanity heavy episode to welcome in 2018 uh, and, and outside of you know the government-based jokes the politics-based jokes i did like the the stuff about the voice commanded toilet and colin's impression of flush oh. please flush uh again i i cannot say enough about just how on fire these guys are uh, unlike lavar ball's son's basketball careers oh. Well, and I and I will say to you that like a lot of the politics is very straightforward. You're right. I mean, I love when they were talking about the was it Stormy Daniels, uh, the porn star, uh, you know, blackmailing him, and he and he says uh, at least there's one storm Trump will pay for. Uh, I thought that was really good. But even things like when they were talking about his health, and almost as a throwaway, he calls him President Drumstick, and then says that he only, he wouldn't believe a, rep, a health report unless it said blood type thick. I thought that was very funny. Uh, and then you're right in the non-politics side when they're talking about GE or GM's first self-driving car. It's got no steering wheel. It's got no doors. It's got no windows or whatever. Also, it's a coffin. I just thought that was really funny. So so good stuff there. Well, let's get yeah, let, let's get into these correspondence here, because, again, as I mentioned before, Oprah made her brief cameo at the end, but she gets a much more elongated presence here as her and Chris Red as Stedman come on to talk a little bit about is she running or maybe she's not running or maybe she is running. What did you think about this? You know, I don't know what the point of this was. I yep. think the point was that it I, I think that it in in its art in its in origination, it was more about Stedman than Oprah. And then ultimately in writing and rewriting and the charisma and power of Leslie Jones, it turned into a little bit of a muddy, kind of confusing thing. Um so I was sort of like, I don't know what we're watching. Um and the and so I, I don't think we learned anything new comedically about Oprah, the character of Oprah, not the real Oprah. And the idea of Stedman sort of being a hype man, sort of like just sort of agreeing with whatever Oprah says. I don't know that any of those landed strong enough uh, when finally he gets a question asked to him for the very first time. Uh, and he says that if if she gets elected, he's going to be the first Stedman. The audience was stone cold silent like they were like okay and the punchline is and then there was no that was the punchline and i thought ooh, that hurt that was a rough one so um i definitely could have done without this yeah i would say that 
you know, usually you would say this is like a straight man, crazy person dynamic, almost like what we saw with, I forget the name of like when she's with Mikey Day and they have the couple that has fun in the yes, bedroom. Yes, the BSDM couple, whatever their names are, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting that like Oprah was the straight person in this, considering that Oprah is usually shown as a big bombastic character. And to go back to what you said before about Leslie's Oprah impression, I don't even know if it's a Leslie Jones doing Oprah. I feel like it's a Leslie Jones doing Maya Rudolph during doing Oprah, yes, which that is which a good also, point. Yeah, which also, uh, no shade to Maya Rudolph, was not a fantastic impression to begin with. The one thing that, that I, I enjoyed was when we got into Oprah stuff and she said that, you know, there's only one thing that can beat yes. me, bread. So I hope I'm not running against bread. Yes, I totally agree. I thought that was a very fun line. I like that a lot. So... So, okay, so let's move on to a fun sort of a, a rare occurrence. We've got A.D. Bryant as a feature as A.D. Bryant talking about the uh, about the Mark Wahlberg situation for the All the Money in the World reshoots. Um, I saw on, on Twitter that this was written by A.D. and uh, Anna, I always want to say Dreesen or Dresden. I think it's Dreesen uh, and Sudi Green. Uh, so some of the some of the writers put this together together. And I thought. I I loved this, even though I will be the first to say that that um, that, you know, sort of, uh, you know, it was not packed with hilarious jokes that a lot of the jokes of Weekend Update were funnier than 80s jokes. It was all of a piece and of a, of a person and of a real sort of thing. And uh, and I thought this was great. So I'll give her credit. As you said, you know, we're not doing what we sometimes do with Leslie and Pete of like, here's a news item, but actually they're going to give five minutes of stand up that they had prepared that really only tangentially deal with the subject. But I'll sort of copy and paste what you said about Oprah and Stedman and apply it here as well. I'm not sure what she was trying to do. Initially, I thought it was, oh, okay, she's trying to, you know, talk to men without being condescending to them. You know, that's why she's like, oh, I'm saying Deese because I'm trying to be cool. Or is she encouraging Mark Wahlberg to act like her with all the insecurities that she has about, like, trying to not be rude to anybody? Like, it, it seemed like there were a bunch of sort of scattered pieces going on that it didn't really build to anything cohesive for me. And maybe that's why, overall, I did not enjoy this as much as you did. Interesting. Yeah, because for me, I felt it very cohesive. Now, I will give you a little bit of backstory here uh, in that, uh, uh, as as some people know, in my uh, in my non podcast world, I run uh, the search practice for uh, entertainment search firm. And there are uh, big new laws uh, that have gone into effect where now uh, hiring executives and recruiters can no longer ask candidates what their uh, current salary is. And that was done to help uh, bridge the pay gap, because what uh, studies had shown is that one of the many reasons that women do not make as much money as men is that, again, this is a broad characterization, but this is statistically shown uh, that overall women tend to negotiate less than men do and they negotiate less hard than men do. And so this rule was put into place to uh, counteract that. So I've been talking about this a lot because it comes up a lot with my clients and my candidates. And I felt like this was such a per and, and this Mark Wahlberg thing is sort of of, uh, about that. So the question is, did Mark Wahlberg actually do anything wrong or really is the blame for uh, this was not mentioned on the show last night uh, that both Mark Wahlberg and um, uh, Michelle Williams are represented by the same agents, uh, uh, William Morris Endeavor. And clearly they as a team fought like hell for Mark Wahlberg to get a lot of money and they did not uh, uh, they did not fight for Michelle Williams to get the same amount of money. So I, I found this to be very much of the piece of, uh, you know, that she 
she doesn't want to uh, that, that she is such a people pleaser and so fearful of confrontation that she sort of doesn't know what to say. I thought the the conversations, the, the pieces where she was saying like, I, you know, is she saying decent because she doesn't want to say decent. She's trying to throw a sports metaphor in uh, because she doesn't want to come off as a shrew was very much not about uh, her being condescending, but her about like, I don't want men to be mad at me because I use the wrong word and now I am a shrew or now I am not cool. And uh, I thought a lot of this stuff was really fun. Interesting. Yeah, I guess maybe because I didn't know about a lot of that backstory stuff. Maybe those blanks weren't filled in for me. So I can totally understand where you're coming from for them that. And I, I'm, I'm grateful that we see more AD because, again, like next to Cecily and Cage, she really is one of the foundations. And she is one of like the longest tenured people uh, that is still there. I just wish from my perspective that didn't really know about all that stuff going on that it really felt like there was something driving it through because it, it didn't seem like that for me. No, I get it. I totally get it. And I did. I wanted to say I just love uh, such a great character piece. Uh, you could say that it's a woman thing, although I identified with it so wonderfully. They're talking about Mark Wahlberg uh, uh, donating the money that he earned. To, and she said, yeah, well, it, you know, it would have been nice if it didn't take a week long public shaming. And then she gives Mark Wahlberg the advice. Why don't you do just a daily private shaming like I've done every day of my life? I just was like, Mwah. I love that. I thought that was so funny. So let's move on to. Uh, another recurring character for the second time this season. Last time we saw him was with Tiffany Haddish. LeVar Ball talking about, uh, I guess this is, this is true because I do not follow the balls, uh, but he moved his sons to Lithuania, took them out of school to start them on a path towards professional basketball, hopefully. So... You know, I've been very critical of LeVar Ball. This character drives me crazy. I think I was a little bit more softened to him last time. We've seen him way too many times. Um, interestingly, and you're right, I'm not a sports guy either, so I have no context for who he is. But writing is everything. This was written by Keenan and uh, one of the co-head writers, Brian Tucker. The writing of this was just so funny when he's talking early on, maybe the third line. Hey, he's talking about how he's a billionaire and he owns 16 Toyota Corollas <laughs> and he's the only man to out pizza the hut. I was laughing. I, we were laughing so hard at this. And I I can't I hate you, Keenan. You, you brought me around. I hated this character uh, and and really and it just brought me around. I thought uh, I thought it was so. So fun. I really enjoyed this. I love this. And again, as you said before, like on, on paper, you should it. it. It's a stupid character and they've used it a bunch of times, but it's something about Keenan's energy that he brings to it and how we now have like a catchphrase of, of LeVar Ball, which essentially never blank. Never blank, yeah. you know, never not cabbage, never not cabbage, that it somehow works. You could tell like Michael Che is cracking up from this. I also loved maybe part of it that made it so funny this time around as well is because LeVar Ball, he spent that first part talking about himself, like you said, but he really spent a lot of time talking about Lithuania and almost yes. making like Olya Pavlotsky-esque jokes about how, you know, there's a crowd of 61 people watching the basketball game and they went crazy by waving their wooden spoons around. <laughs> like weird specificity like that. Yes. I, the thing that killed me for some stupid reason, this was a very big poppy-esque thing, but very beats, big poppy. Yeah, yes. be, beats, like, beats by LeVar, which are just beats that they sell. They so bother, they make your dookie smell like Santa claws uh it's just it's it's so again so dumb but keaton just puts such a smile on my face from the way he does yes. all this 
But I will say to you, as we were saying, I do think that this is a very Mad Lib style where uh, where as great as the performance is, similar to Drunk Uncle, once we saw Bobby do Drunk Uncle more than twice, it was wholly – because we knew the uh, delivery was going to be a 10 every time, it really came down to the writing. And when Drunk Uncle was meh, it kind of started to become eh, where this was just great writing from both of them. I love when the Better Business Bureau gives him an F and he and Bavar says that he tells his kids the F stands for phenomenal. I thought that was beautiful writing and of course great delivery. So uh it's a really good way. I think if we had taken the Oprah and Stedman piece out, started with 80 and closed with Lavar, this would have been home run weekend update. Yeah, and this was a very, very long weekend update as well. Yeah. I think it was probably went on for what, like 10 to even 15 minutes, maybe? Yes. And we we come out of this on a super high, a super high point, and they then, I'm telling you, I've said this before on the podcast, Saturday Night Live, Lorne, Gang, Higgins, Kenward, get rid of the boat set. Yes. Nothing funny happens on the boat set. Not Tonkerbell, not the ill-formed John Rudnitsky piece <laughs> that made no sense, not the live version of of uh, of Peter, Peter Pan, Pan on NBC. Get rid of the boat set. It is sinking this show. Please. Oh. Yeah. Gets, and and yeah, and on top of that, in general, uh, maybe it's because it comes with the boat step. But stop doing Peter Pan sketches. Peter yeah. Pan sketches just aren't funny. We've seen Ellen Page do Peter Pan. We've seen Cecily do Peter Pan. Now we've seen Kate do Peter Pan. I understand what they were trying to go for here. It's sort of like what you were talking about before. What, what you thought Mister Science was going to be of. Let's take this this old piece of literature and let's sort of make a modern day commentary on it. Hey, isn't it weird that Captain Hook wanted to invite a bunch of boys onto his ship? And they just but they just sort of talk about it. And that's it. Like nothing really happens in this. And as a result, this really did not hit for me. Yeah, this was the, it all took place on the SS boy. This was I I wanted to be one of the people jumping over the boat as well to get off this sketch. I was yes. So uh, so let's move on to a better yeah. piece uh, to the ATM. Another pre-tape. We're now on our third pre-tape of the show. Uh, the ATM sketch I saw on Reddit, although I couldn't confirm this. Someone said that this was written by Michael Che and Gary Richardson. I have no reason not to believe that to be true, but I could i didn't see a, a first-hand account of that um and i thought this was really a fun sketch i mean i it was definitely one of those where are we going with these kind of sketches and then the turn was a really fun turn it took a long time to get there i think i would have liked the sketch more if as you said they'd they had to lay out a little bit less rope because i mean the first like three and a half minutes of this sketch there was not a laugh to be had it was just all completely serious with you know sam rockwell getting approached by keenan's character and then just sort of having this conversation about the fact that oh you looked at me and you thought that i was going to rob you i did like the turn when it happened but i sort of felt like if we had spent more time there and less time in the beginning, maybe that would have been fun. I mean, this this sketch hinges on Keenan's performance, and I think he did a really great job of almost flipping yes. that as soon as Chris Red and all those guys show up. So then when we, they, they do, like, 15 seconds there, and then they cut back to the car, I sort of wanted to, like stay back there that was sort of what i was going to going back to what i said at the very beginning of the podcast about how many some of these sketches had 
really interesting premises, but they just sort of felt unfinished. That's one example there. And the the weird thing, like, I, I get what they were going for with the turn at the end of like, oh, no kissing. That's right, because you're a prostitute. Like, I felt like there was a better way to do that without outright saying it. That felt like a very good neighbor hmm. thing that they would do as like a parody of like, of course you're a prostitute. Like, couldn't they like infer something about like rates or, you know, going to a CD motel or something that you think the audience would get? Cause it just felt a little blunt to me. That's very nitpicky, but that's what I thought. Huh? I, I liked it, but I, I hear what you're saying. I, and I liked, I liked that we, uh, as you said, sort of, it took a long time to set up, but you know, uh, but uh, you know, you, when you're sort of laying that kind of pipe and sort of building, where is it going when it does deliver? I think it is, it's a very rewarding deliver, but, uh, but I know what you, I know what you mean. There was, there was a lot going on to get to this. So um, I actually, again, this was another piece that I easily could have seen this uh, after science show instead of Tucci gang. I'm, very surprised that this was so late in the show yeah i don't know again i think tucci gang really play well or maybe they were hoping that all those uh, millennials that gave them the 420 million views on that video would uh you know go to bed pre-update and so they want to get it in there instead of watching it the next day but yeah the placements are always really really interesting but i guess we should move on here to uh, i mean I i call it like boyfriend visit but essentially uh, we think that we're getting, you know, the stereotypical like, here's this dad. He doesn't, uh, he, he's, he's all, uh, you know, he's all confused or he's, he's sort of touchy about the fact that his son is gay and is bringing home his boyfriend. But we get this little bit of a turn that the boyfriend is actually a porn star and the dad has a reaction of, don't I know you from somewhere? And that's basically what the sketch plays with the entire time. Yeah. And I liked it. Again, I thought this had for me a bit of a fatal flaw. I wish that when uh, when he says uh, you know, to to Alex Moffat, you know, do they know I'm a porn star, even though this would have been a very clunky execution, I wish he would have said, do they know I'm a porn star in gay movies? Because he says porn star. I assume it's gay movies because that's the premise. And then when Sam Rockwell's like, do I know you from somewhere? As a viewer, I did start to go, wait, I assume that he's a gay porn star. But is wait, am I missing this? Is actual the joke that he's in like porn? And that's where, you know, we're finding out that the dad's a porn guy, not necessarily a gay person. So it was a little not confusing, but I felt like it was a loose thread that sort of distracted me a little bit. Um, um, but uh, but I will say this was a one note joke. They hit the note. It was very funny. And his sort of like, you know, well, you know, I guess I'm getting a divorce now was very fun. And his sort of wrap up on that, the reveal that he was a pastor was very fun. So uh, I, 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 I'd say a, a lot of pipe to get to the moment, but a very fun moment. I loved how much because you think it would just be a typical sketch of like, oh, like we're just going to do a lot of like skirting around the issue. Like he's going to keep saying, oh, I know you from somewhere, but he's not going to get it. I love the fact that he just come right came right out and say, oh, you're a gay porn star. And he just like yeah. goes on to list all the stuff that he's seen. him in. And like you said, just the very matter of fact aspect of Sam Rockwell's character where he just goes over yes. the corner, grabs his coat and puts it on is just I, again, I, I don't think any other person who delivered it in a different manner could have pulled it off the way that he did right there and i think it's a very understated performance in that regard 
No, I totally agree. I totally agree. So fun, fun energy. And then we get to the last live sketch of the night uh, written by uh, Streeter Seidel and Mikey Day uh, with arm work done by SNL writer Andrew. I can never say his name. Dismucus, I think. Um, And this is an interesting one because basically Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel are sort of asking the comedy question. Can we successfully build an entire sketch over a human putting his hands underneath? a dog and the answer is yes you can i thought it took a lot of pipe to get to the dog head guy but once we got to that dog uh you know i was i was in and this was so much fun even more so than mr science this is an incredible representation of how snl can take the stupidest thing you could ever think of and just turn it into something that is so so funny the first thing that comes to my mind is toons's the driving cat there was mm-hmm. nothing beyond the idea of let's put a cat puppet behind the wheel of a car and, and make and, and i don't know why it's got a little bit of a je ne sais quoi to it but for some reason i find it hilarious and it was here as well. Uh, to answer Johnny DeSilvera's question, yes, I do believe this is the first time on SNL that somebody took a dog head and put human arms behind it. I can't think of any other sketches that did that outside of like the Sesame Street thing that they did with the Weimariners uh, once upon a time. This was a very quick in and out. I'm very surprised. It's with stuff like this, you'd think that they typically sort of like languish in it, but they, they had their moment where they had like the dog make the Rubik's Cube. They had it on the phone call. The big moment, I think, was the dog with the sandwich, which actually made Mikey Day break, which I feel like is very, very, very out of character yeah. for him. The one quibble I have is I've sort of noticed something about SNL as of late where if they don't have an ending for a sketch, they'll have one character go, so you're just going to do this, aren't you? Yep. And then right. the sketch ends. So we get it here with, so you're going to cut our funding, aren't you? Yep. So that, that's something I just want to sort of keep a lookout for. I want to send up that signal to see if we can detect that in any other sketches where if they know there's not an ending, they're going to have one character go, so you're going to fire me, aren't you? Yep. And then the sketch ends. Right. So we're just going to call out the, yeah, we're going to sort of bring it back to reality in a very obvious way. I I will also say for me, uh, again, uh, you know, the nitpick for me is sort of the weird, there's a weird moment where we get a lot of pipe is being laid by Cecily about what's going on at this lab. uh, And then she says something like, oh, I've certainly done a lot of talking. And then uh, uh, Beck Bennett says, you think? And it was a weird joke that sort of threw it into like, wait, what is this sketch going to be? And I thought it was very very, very derailing to that. Um, but that said, uh, you know, also we're talking about dogs. I mean, you know, you know, different than when we're doing whiskers, are we where you just the cats are just they're literally just props. You just pick them up. Anything they do will work. This was a was a tough one because you needed the dog to sort of be present. Uh, you know, the Rubik's Cube thing, I was sort of like, OK, it's a, a dog with with someone's hands and he's doing a Rubik's Cube. I guess that's kind of funny. But when they held that iPhone to the dog's ear, I was like, that is so stupid and so funny. And then you're right. Once the dog is eating the sandwich and it but it wasn't just the dog. It was the fact that uh, that Andrew takes his hand and he starts rubbing his tummy like "Mm, mm, mm, that's good. That just made me laugh so hard. I was just like, this is a 10 to one sketch. Oh, this is what you do. This is how it works. And I will say that, again, Sam Rockwell does a really understated job in this. Just his delivery of, oh, yeah, we made a dog head guy. I don't know why the the term dog head guy just really made me laugh. But the way that Sam was so 
serious about everything and just the random exposition of i put my dog's on head onto my dead brother's body it's just <laughs> yes. ridiculous when when he's the legal counsel that he says that he googled uh, you know and i found out it's okay to make a dog head guy it's just all so silly so very very fun all right, well, let's move on to the last pre-tape here, which has some interesting history. So this is a Chantix yes. commercial, uh, which is interesting because I feel like as of late, at least the commercials that I've been seeing have had this moniker of, you know, not an actor. And this really takes aim at that by Cecily's character will be being like, well, actually, you know, I, I used to be an actress and her sort of getting into an argument with Kate McKinnon's voiceover. But from what I read, Rich, this sketch has been in the can for like Three or four years at this four point. Four years. So at the end of the show, during the good nights, I'm watching the credits and I see that the Chantix commercial is directed by Reese Thomas. And I'm like, he left the show years ago. And what? And at first I thought he came back to do a Chantix commercial. He's, uh, by the way, he's been working with Fred Armisen and Bill Hader on documentary now. And he's done a lot of stuff for Fallon. And uh, so, uh, so I was very surprised by that. And yes, it turns out that this was written and shot for the Sarah Silverman episode in season 40. And they've had it in the can. Now, uh, one of the things that we've heard for a long time, sort of SNL lore is that they always, have one pre-tape ready to go in case uh, the show ends up being very short. Uh, and often, as you can imagine, the reason the show often goes very short is not that it's going short, is it's going long. That there probably was one more sketch that they were as we're in, uh, you know, uh, you know, the dinner party and as we're in the genetics lab, the writers were probably cutting the sketch for time and they probably hit a point when they went, that's it. We can't get it short enough. We can't get it in time. We have to pull the ripcord. And so they pull out what they always have, uh, which some funny sketches have, have, have lived these lives. Uh, something that was in the can for four years finally finally makes it to the air. But boy, it felt as current and as uh, and as topical as ever. And what a great, you know, obviously this is something that Cecily uh, performed four years ago. And yet when you add it to everything you know the e-sketch and the work that she did uh, in 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 some of the pre-tapes like i just thought boy it was just a, a really fun uh, a sketch for her and uh, again the idea that uh, she is quits quitting smoking but she actually is an actress and just the back and forth with her and the narrator was just super fun yeah, I liked the the way that they use that as well. Like when she's doing like extensive physical warm ups and she's like, now that I'm, I can't smoke, it's allowed me to give me all this energy to do all these types of things, like develop my one woman show. Like I like how it turned into her now self-promoting herself as an yes. actress. It's just, again, it's a small detail that I've noticed in a bunch of commercials. As you said, it's crazy that what was done four years ago can still st seem relevant today, but I like how they did a certain take on it. And Cecily Kate both did a fantastic job on this. I can only imagine if a show ever goes long again, what they might pull out of the can from like 10 years ago. I mean, you know, we're going to have Will Ferrell host in a couple of weeks. Maybe they'll pull out something from his time on the show then. Yeah. Super fun. Super, super fun. I'm glad that this finally made it to air because it super, certainly deserved to. All right. Any any notes about the good nights? You hinted towards one uh, you yes. know, glaring omission. Glaring omission. So we do have uh, Fred Armisen. Uh, we do have Bill Murray on stage. Um, but I can't believe the pomposity to not show up for the good nights was the dog from the genetics lab. Come on. 
why could the dog should have been on stage to out of respect for the show and the institution? How great would that have been if Mikey Day had a golden retriever with him on the set for that? That would have been the most adorable moment ever. Um, yes. But that said, a uh, lot of fun in the good nights. I will say very strangely, not a lot of people talking to Bill Murray. Bill Murray uh, was, seemed in very good spirits. Was uh, I saw him say hello to uh, Kyle Mooney real quickly, say hi to uh G easy because no one was coming up to him. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's just such an icon. Maybe there was some weirdness um, you, or just maybe there's no reason, but it was very strange. It was also very fun seeing Keenan in the good nights wearing a three piece suit because he did not change after the genetics lab uh, uh, sketch, but it was just very odd to see him dressed so formal in the good nights um, and just a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Everyone seemed uh, in good spirits. I think that they knew at least for some of us, uh, that this was a really good episode. All right, Rich, let's size up next week, our second episode uh, in a row here. Jessica Chastain with musical guest Troy Savan, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you know much more about one than the other. What, what are you expecting from Jessica Chastain coming into this episode? So promoting Molly's game, the new Aaron Sorkin movie, which we've seen is very good. She's very good in it. Um, I think that she is uh, I think she's going to be she's given a disservice uh, by uh, finding out that the week following her is going to be one of the all time great Saturday Night Live alumni coming back after I want to say three years or so. Uh, so a lot of the buzz is going to be around Will Ferrell. Uh, so I, I could see her ratings wise getting lost in the shuffle. That's Said, sometimes the great SNL episodes are someone that you don't necessarily see coming. Uh, it'll be her first time hosting. She's not known for comedy. She's not known for live theater. Um, but you could say the same thing of uh, Saoirse Ronan, and I thought she did a, a very good job. So, uh, And I think she's very good, Jessica Chastain. So uh, I'm looking forward to see what they pull out at, uh, before they start really gearing up for what could be one of the big episodes of the winter. I'm calling it right now, Rich. We are going to get at least one Jessica Chastain, I am not Bryce Dallas Howard jokes. Mm, I like it. I like it. Yes. Just because maybe maybe they'll do another version of, uh, what was it, uh, Dylan McDermott or Dermot Mulroney. But I feel like yes. that's like the, the main thing that people know her for or confuse her for at this point. So we'll see. I always have my expectations open uh, for these first time hosts. And again, I know I've said this before, but I'm giving this season of SNL major kudos for bringing in so many one time new hosts. We brought in, we just had Sam Rockwell. We're having another one now. Will Ferrell obviously is not new, uh, but I'm excited to see. We've had a really good track record so far in terms of new hosts, and a lot of them have hit. And a few of them have missed, but I feel like the first time hosts in general have been doing pretty well this season. Yeah. And even in like the Gal Gadot episode, which was not any of our favorites, no fault of hers. So, you know, and I think we'll see that again. Yeah, I agree. Also, not a level movie stars, but people who have been doing very interesting work. So I appreciate also a quick shout out. Uh, I, had, I had seen uh, that just your point you brought up that uh, Dylan McDermott's in a new comedy on Fox where he plays an airline pilot and they have a uh, they have a doppelganger, uh, sort of a competitor of his. And in a shout out to SNL, it is uh, it is Dermot. Mulrooney playing against uh, Dylan McDermott. Uh, so I like a little little shout out to SNL on network sitcom television. Just don't tell Jamie Foxx that because he'll just get increasingly confused. <laughs> exactly. Good. 
yes, if you guys have any thoughts about this episode and what's to come on SNL, feel free to reach out to us. Rich is at Rich Tack. I am at a Mike Bloom type. I feel like we've already been having some really interesting conversations with people, some of whom did not like this episode as much as Rich and I did. Some liked it even more. So we'd love to hear from you. Comedy, as Rich talked about in the very beginning, is always subjective. So we'd love to hear your thoughts as we start off 2018, which should, again, hopefully be a really fun year for both SNL and this podcast. It is certainly shaping up to be, I think, an exciting lineup coming up. So I hope everyone comes back. We want to do it again, and let's keep talking SNL. 